Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey there, good morning. Happy Christmas Eve and welcome to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. Well, I hope you are around the TV with your family and friends here about to celebrate Christmas. Uh, for our Jewish friends and our secular friends and uh, friends of other faiths, hope you are just getting some good quality time with your family and friends as well. We have a roundup here for you with the best of, of some of our top topics. We have Father Frank Pavone, a man of faith, coming up right here. One of the Democratic challengers down in Georgia who is fighting for control of the Senate. He is a pastor. He's African-American. His name is Ralph Warnock. And he put out a tweet saying that he is both a pastor and he is pro-choice. He's a pro-choice pastor. And your organization, Priest for Life, Alveda King, who is the niece of Dr. Martin Luther King, signed on to a letter saying that this is just incompatible with how you all uh, interpret the faith and how you interpret Christianity. And uh, we'll have an excerpt from the letter here. It says, you've gone on the record saying that you are a pro-choice pastor who will always fight for reproductive justice. You've publicly expressed your views that abortion is an exercise of human agency and freedom that is fully consistent with your role as a shepherd of God's people. We believe these statements represent grave errors of judgment and a lapse in a pastoral responsibility, and we entreat you to reconsider them. As a Christian pastor and as a black leader, you have a duty to denounce the evil of abortion, which kills a disproportionate number of black children. Your open advocacy of abortion is a scandal to the faith and to the black community. And the letter also goes on to note that the African-American population is about 13% of the country, but 36% of abortions. So you have almost three times the number of the percentage um, of black women who are getting abortions uh, compared to their uh, overall uh, place in the population. So uh, have you gotten a response yet from this letter? Uh, no, Carrie. Uh, uh, well, uh, of course, his campaign has said uh, very shallow uh, arguments about, oh, well, there's no room for the government, you know, in the in the doctor's office. Well, you know, that's ridiculous. Of course, there are laws that govern doctors. There are laws that govern patients. Of course, there's room for government uh, in, uh, in medical decisions. But but here's the point. The problem is is multifaceted here. First of all, the problem is we have a Democrat candidate. The Democrat Party is in league with the abortion industry in an integral way, in an ever more extreme way. And the American people have become more aware that, of the fact that the Democrats put no restrictions on abortion and they want you and me to pay for it. They want to take away even the reasonable restrictions that exist now, like parental involvement laws, clinic regulations, and bans on late-term abortion. So we have, first of all, a Democrat problem. And because Pastor Warnock, whom Alveda and I have known for years, uh, is, is firmly in that camp, uh, he is extreme on abortion. 
The added problems that this letter shows are, first of all, he claims to be a pastor. You know, it's completely inconsistent with any kind of uh, faith in God that you would destroy the children that God makes. Uh, and then, of course, because he's black, as this letter is uh, and its signatories are pointing out, uh, this is an insult to the black community. And blacks are becoming more and more aware, by the way, Alvita does this work with us all the time, uh, talking about the fact that, that, that her community is becoming more and more aware of how damaging abortion is to them. Margaret Sanger was a racist. The abortion industry was founded on racism. And they get a disproportionate number of the abortions, not because they themselves don't value life, but because the abortion industry targets them. Well, and to your point, I want to put up a tweet here from Angela Stanton King, who's a prominent African-American conservative. And she says, imagine being a black preacher telling your black congregation to abort their black children because black lives matter. And y'all wonder yeah. why no one takes us seriously. So she's pointing out from her perspective what she sees as the irony that if you believe the black lives matter, then you shouldn't be aborting black children. Yes, I know Angela, too. She's, uh, she, she just says it so well. Uh, you know, the problem here, too, is that just being in support of abortion and as radically as the Democrat platform uh, expresses it now, first of all, we're talking about not just what direction Georgia is going, but the entire nation, right, with this, these Senate races is going to determine how much the Democrats can do to change abortion policy nationally, which is already bad enough. They want to make it worse. Uh, but secondly, it's inconsistent with the notion of public service. I always say, you know, we have to elect public servants who know the difference between serving the public and killing the public. It's a fundamental uh, a contradiction to, for, to be a public servant and to say, oh, yeah, you, we, we can... We can decide whether these babies are going to have protection of their lives or not. Protecting life is the most fundamental purpose of government. So we have a lot of problems here with uh, uh, Pastor Warnock, also John Ossoff, and in fact, all of these, uh, all of these Democrats. Occasionally, you'll see, you know, Senator Manchin once in a while give a pro-life vote, but basically they're all right in league with the abortion industry. And Father, what about, I was speaking recently with a, a Democrat. She says that she personally is pro-life, but that she is pro-choice because she believes that God allows for free will and that by making it legal, she says we should encourage as a society that people not do it, but that we shouldn't be taking away free will. 30 seconds. Is she going to apply that argument to child abuse? I mean, free will. What, what do you mean by free will? We freely will to do evil at times. The victims have to be protected. Sure. So, uh, and she would say in response to that, that free will uh, is something that because uh, from her perspective, she wants people to choose good. She wants to allow them the chance to choose good. Well, that's simply because she's being blind to the victim. Uh, take a look at, at the pictures of what abortion does to a baby and, uh, and you'll come to a different conclusion. All right. Father Frank Pallone, we appreciate it. Carrie, great to be with you. Thanks. And Father Pavone is the National Director for Priests for Life. Stay with us, folks. We've got Laura Rice. She is uh, with Heritage Foundation. We're going to talk about all of these national security breaches, what they mean for us, what they mean for our country, and what's going to happen with Russian relations here in the possible Biden administration. Stay with us, folks.
Good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield and glad you're with us. Well, you might have recently heard, thanks to President Trump, about this issue of critical race theory. And my next guest, she's been at the forefront of this issue now for decades, though. So she's got a wealth of information. She personally uh, was a victim of attacks of people who were saying that she is a white supremacist. Um, and guess what? She's an African-American woman. And, and she joins me here on the couch. She's Dr. Carol Swain. She's the founder of Be the People News and the host of Conversations with Dr. Carol Swain. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Carrie. So I want to play a clip for our viewers about a recent conversation that you had on this issue. Uh, it's a very interesting uh, controversy because everything's a controversy these days at the Smithsonian. So let's take a look. All right. The Smithsonian, they... That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Had an exhibit of... Uh, uh, that talked about hard work and getting to places on time and standard English and all of those things that helped make for our success, that those things were uh, part of the white oppression. I mean, it's, it's the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard of. And when I think about when I went to college and when you went to college, uh, you know, there was nonsense, not so much when I went to college, uh, but I'm sure you encountered some of the nonsense, but now they're saying that blacks can't do standard English, they shouldn't be asked. I mean, how does that help our society? Well, the, the short answer is that it doesn't. I find this remarkably, remarkably racist, by the way, as a teacher and executive at a well-known black college. I can tell you when we have our leadership meetings at Kentucky State, and this is the same at Howard Morehouse, our rival uh, center, I mean, you, people are expected to be there on time with a tie on. So I think any black or Asian or Hispanic businessman in the world would be amazed to hear this standard. But I mean, one sentence, if you decide that all gaps in performance are due to racism, then the things that cause them have to be whiteness, right? Being on time, that, that's being white. So that's Wilford Riley, who's a member of the 1776 Unites group, to which you're a member as well, uh, founded by Bob Woodson, who we had on this program last week. But he said this thing about if you have uh, certain behaviors, that that's white. And you took issue with this. I certainly uh, take issue with it because it seems like we have gone backwards when it comes to race relations. Uh, during my generation, we wanted equal opportunity. We wanted to be able to get into places to show what we could do. And now, all of a sudden, when we are so prosperous, when black people are in positions of power throughout our society, all of a sudden, these affluent black kids are demanding lowered standards. And so it's a reversal. And the progressives, the white progressives who push it and go along with it, they are the true racists. They've always been racist. And this phrase, the soft bigotry of low expectations, that was something that George W. Bush would say over and over again. And Democrats hated that phrase because they said that this is George W. Bush being racist again. Well, Carrie, you're probably too young to remember this, but some years ago, the president of Rutgers University, who was a big pro-affirmative action proponent, 
he was recorded talking to his faculty about it being unfair to expect the same standards from a group that was genetically incapable. He used genetically and blacks defended that. And it's such, uh, so racist that many of the progressives really do believe that blacks are not able to achieve. But if you look at what blacks accomplished coming out of slavery and during the period before affirmative action, blacks were making huge strides. And the affirmative action movement was never about lowered standards or special benefits. It was about equal opportunity and non-discrimination. And with the critical race theory, what's taking place with diversity, equity, inclusion programs. It is reverse racism against whites. I believe it violates the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment and the 1964 Civil Rights Movement, the shaming, the bullying, all the things that are taking place today against white people. And I'm not a black white supremacist. I'm a person who believes in the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution I believe in civil rights laws. I don't believe anyone should be discriminated against because of the color of their skin. That includes white people. Well, and we've seen time and time again that actually the most wealthiest, uh, the highest income, how it highest household income, they're actually Asian Americans. They actually outseed, exceed uh, white Americans well, they're over being and discriminated over. against as well. Right. I mean, it's just a, such a reversal for our society. And one of the things that's troubling is the historical revisionism and that uh, is something that's destructive to our society because every nation needs to remember its past and America is not an evil country. America is a great country where so many people have risked their lives to come here to live and all of a sudden we're destroying our country from within. And tell our viewers who don't know about your story about what happened at Vanderbilt University. Oh, I don't want to go into detail about that. I took early retirement from the university uh, after having been a professor for 28 years. I taught at Princeton. I was tenured there early. I've won national prizes. I've been cited by the U.S. Supreme Court. But I became um, a Christian conservative late in my life, in my 40s, and my whole world changed. And all of a sudden, um, the world changed for people like me. And eventually, I left the university environment because of what it had become. What I experienced was not particular to Vanderbilt. Universities, universities have been taken over in a way that's detrimental to the whole process of education. They're no longer marketplaces for ideas. And um, what has taken place on college and university campuses, including some Christian ones, is totally the opposite of what you would expect. And it's because of critical theory, which is related to cultural Marxism and the decline of our society. Do you think that universities, because uh, theoretically it was supposed to be about a free exchange of ideas, that by doing so, people who are classical liberals, and by that I mean people who are classically open to a debate, uh, that they open the door because a lot of these ideas, the Marxism that you're talking about, they wouldn't be uh, necessarily, uh, you know, something culturally that would fit in America, but because universities were allowed to have these ideas, that those ideas then took over, and now they're doing the reverse, that they're not allowing 
that idea to be challenged. You're absolutely right. I hadn't thought of it that way. But yes, universities, they had their Marxist professors. But what happened, I blame Saul Alinsky rules for radicals. Those Marxists infiltrated institutions. They used deception, manipulation. They worked their way to the top of corporations, universities, schools, and even some church denominations, and they have taken over. They are destroying our society. And one of the things with this election and the controversy about the election, the civil rights laws, the Voting Rights Act, minorities are being used to destroy this society, to lower standards, and you see affirmative action even in the voting that all of a sudden minorities, black people, are supposed to be too stupid to know how to fill out a ballot, so you have to lower the standards. And that's why in Georgia and places like that, they don't want to verify signatures. They uh, have a double standard when it comes to voting. That's unacceptable in America. All right, Dr. Carol Swain, we appreciate it. We always appreciate your perspective. Thank you. And make sure to check out her podcast, Conversations with Carol Swain, and also her media company, Be the People News. And stay with us, folks. Maggie is going to be back on the couch. She was out at the Trump rally over the weekend. We'll hear what she has to say. Stay with us. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey there, good morning and welcome back to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield and glad you are here with us. So let's talk about what's happening over in China with the Muslim minority population. They've been just uh, incredibly suffering right now. And we have an expert who wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal on this issue that many Uyghurs are facing slave labor. And Dr. Adrian Zenz, he's a senior fellow in China studies at the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, joins me. Dr. Zenz, good morning. Good morning. So this op-ed that you wrote for the Wall Street Journal talks about the forced labor specifically on the industry of cotton. Walk our viewers through what they need to know. What they need to know is that uh, Xinjiang is a region with about 15 million uh, predominantly Muslim minorities, some of the largest ethnic minority groups in China. And this region produces 85% of Chinese cotton and Fasten your seatbelts, 20%, one-fifth of the world's cotton. Now, since 2017, Beijing has been putting over one million of the Uyghurs and other ethnic minorities in the region in re-education camps, in internment camps. But that's not the only thing they've been doing. A lot of the other adults who are not necessarily in the camps, they are putting through different forms of forced labor. And of course, harvesting cotton is a very labor-intensive process. It's uh, quite expensive also. And uh, in the past, they've been bringing in a lot of Han Chinese migrants from other parts of China. But now it's government policy to put the Uyghurs to pick cotton. And that's because they want to keep them occupied and busy. It's a way to save money because they don't have to travel as far. But even more importantly, it's a way to oppress these people, to keep them busy, preoccupied, controlled by the state, families separated, children in boarding school, and the economy humming. 
So in terms of here in America, when we talk about cotton, there's a, a long, sad history with cotton and slave labor here in the United States. Do you think what's happening in China is slave labor? Um, that is unfortunately a very likely term to use in this context. I, as an academic, have chosen a slightly more careful language. Also, it is impossible to truly verify what is going on on the ground, but we are talking a state-sponsored scheme of forced labor, and it probably would, in some respects, be appropriate to effectively refer to it as slave labor, although I would like to have uh, some extra confirmation, etc., which we cannot get at the moment. Uh, journalists who visit the region are followed, uh, some are detained, their footage deleted, they're being harassed, researchers have been detained, uh, and it's too dangerous to travel to the region. It's impossible to really audit what's going on, which is also one of the reasons why the fashion industry has to divest and pull out of this. And to that point, American consumers, talk us through what's happening when it comes to sanctions or even just awareness either here in the United States or the Western world in Europe. What are people doing? What are they doing in terms of sanctions or boycotting? So many countries have been very slow and hesitant to even speak out on what is going on. The United States just recently, a couple of weeks ago, uh, put a withhold and release order, effectively a ban on one third of Xinjiang's cotton production, that part which is produced by a particular uh, government entity, it's a paramilitary entity used that was set up uh, in 1949 to colonize the region. Um, this is a very important first step, but the United States government ban only affects one third of cotton production. Now at the time, there wasn't hard evidence for this massive scheme of forced picking of cotton. Now the evidence is on the table and now it's high time to put a ban on all cotton from Xinjiang, which more or less effectively means most of all cotton in China, unless you can trace it, which is a real problem. And also Chinese cotton products such as cloth and yarn are exported and used around Asian countries such as Bangladesh or Vietnam as the basis for making a lot of the clothing that we are wearing or that might be under our Christmas trees this week. So you're saying that the cotton might originate in China, but it might be shipped to another place like Vietnam. So if your shirt here says made in Vietnam, you think, oh, I'm getting Vietnamese cotton. It's not going to be forced or slave labor. But you're saying it's just been imported over so people don't know about the supply chain. In terms of other countries who are importing it, are they concerned like Vietnam or other, other countries or are they kind of in the same boat? Um. They are not necessarily in the same boat, but they are being agnostic about it at the moment because it's not gotten big news yet. And the industry is yet to take some really decisive steps. Uh, individual um, fashion brands have made uh, selective announcements. Sometimes that just amounts to telling their Chinese suppliers, we don't want any Xinjiang cotton. But the problem is, uh, what is the meaningful verification or enforcement procedure in those cases? What we really need is a large-scale attempt by the entire global fashion industry to, to fully divest from Xinjiang cotton, both in China and in other, in other countries, such as Vietnam or Bangladesh. And that's going to take several steps. That's going to take a lot of expertise. But it's, it's going to have to start, and it's going to be a process that we and the media have to follow closely to hold the industry accountable. And what about American consumers? What can American consumers do? Your average person may be watching this program at home. What would be their step forward? Their step forward is to, yes, look at the clothing label. Where's the clothing made? Of course, made in China and that there's cotton in it. 
your chances that Xinjiang cotton uh, is part of that is are 85% at least, uh, even higher if you look at some of the mixing that's going on. But the other thing you really can do is to just increase your awareness to start posting about this on your social media accounts to spread the awareness to your friends and family and even better to write letters to these fashion headquarters, to these corporate headquarters, because they take note, they read those letters and they are already really worried and they should get more worried. Can you talk a bit, a bit more about the general suppression of the Uyghur minority? Because it seems we've seen reports, for example, that the Chinese Communist Party, they in some ways want to extinguish this culture and want to basically snuff it out through over time. That's unfortunately very true. We are speaking of cultural genocide or ethnocide, which is the destruction of an ethnic identity. We are talking a large number of Uyghurs, especially the intellectual elite, artists, musicians, writers, etc., uh, professors, have been put into internment camps. Uh, many of them are now being sentenced to long prison terms, taking them out for a long time. And some of the lesser skilled, the lesser educated are being shifted to vocational internment camps but they're then released into forced labor. Often we are talking large-scale industrial complexes or newly constructed industrial parks with money from Eastern China, from Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen, uh, Fujian, etc. Uyghurs are also transported along these supply chains and transferred to work in factories in Eastern China, including Guangdong. Dr. Zenz, in terms of, I want to move real quick, uh, just in the time we have, on the issue of the incoming Biden administration, because China has, in many respects, been put back on their heels by President Trump. What do you think will be the position of Joe Biden when it comes to the Uyghurs? Biden has said he will prioritize human rights, uh, and that would be a very important step indeed. He'll have to take some real specific measures when it comes to Xinjiang. Uh, and tackling the Chinese Communist Party, because they're very smart. I think they're going to try to appease him on certain topics, such as climate change, uh, what you could call soft topics, in order to score some uh, escape culpability in terms of national security. Uh, and that's something Biden really has to watch out for. All right, Dr. Adrian Zenz, we appreciate it. Thank you. Stay with us. We're going to talk stimulus with the Heritage Foundation coming up next. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey there, welcome back to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield, I'm glad you're here. Well, 2020 is wrapping up and we have a personal finance expert here to join us and tell us how do you make your money go that much further during the holidays uh, and any saving tricks that we need by the end of the year. Bobby Rebel, she joins me. She's a host of Money with Friends podcast and the Financial Grown-Up podcast as well. And she's also the author of the book, How to Be a Financial Grown-Up. Good morning, Bobby. Good morning, Carrie. Thank you so much for having me. So, okay, we're here in the end of the year. A lot of people are, uh, you know, you know, unemployment went up compared to last year. Some people are trying to make their money go further. What tips and advice can you give here for the holidays? 
the most important thing is to actually do a self-assessment, a financial self-assessment. Go back through what you've spent the past 11 and a half months and figure out what worked for you and what you might do differently. And you might actually, Carrie, be pleasantly surprised because even though a lot of us have suffered from, you know, underemployment, unemployment, um, and a different mix of, gosh, knows what hits us during this pandemic. The truth is many of us also spent a lot less money. We did not go out with friends as much. We miss our friends, but the money wasn't spent. We probably didn't take as much um, taxis if we're in urban areas or you know Ubers, Lyfts, whatever it may be, because we weren't going out as much. We certainly probably um, had fewer gifts to buy because maybe we weren't going to as many big weddings or bridal showers or graduations and so on. So we probably have a better situation than we thought we would. It's no surprise that in fact, the saving rates have been up. So cheer yourself up by looking back and giving yourself a pat on the back for what you've done right. And then give yourself a little reality check for maybe what you wanna think about doing a little bit better with next year. Sure, and we've also seen credit scores have been going up as well. Um, so yeah. I wanna ask you, uh, you were quoted in a Huffington Post article and the headline is, why the idea of a cashless society is so dangerous. Uh, and they said, in theory, um, if you had a cashless society, you could prevent the spread of germs. Um, but they say that it could actually be difficult for people who are less wealthy um, and people, maybe minorities in particular, who are less likely to have a bank. Um, what's your read on that? Yeah, first of all, Carrie, I love that you bring this up because this is a really important discussion for all of us to be having. There are very good points made by both sides. I do think that it is to some degree inevitable that we move more and more towards a cashless society because not only all the points brought up in the article about the fact that, and I talk about the fact that you can track your spending more effectively when you can see it, but also it can be a health and safety thing to not always have us touching physical money. So that is something that is more and more in the conversation. That said, I do think that it's important that we have empathy and that we take action for those who don't have easy access to cashless ways to pay and that we get them into the system. I think the solution is not to just ignore them. The solution is to bring them along, educate people and give people the resources so that they can have bank have access to banks or places to put their money where they can also have access to cashless uh, ways to pay because the truth is it is much more hygienic and when we're talking about health and safety that really is something that we should focus on and you were also quoted in another article by real simple and it was looking at the cares act so the cares act was the coronavirus yeah. relief bill that was passed earlier this year um, and it says that it changed the 401k withdrawal rules Here's what you need to know. What do we need to know for this, especially here because some people might be making some changes with their 401ks before the end of the year? I think it's important, Carrie, that everybody tread lightly. There are a lot of other places to get money if you need it. Now, if this is what you need to do, don't beat yourself up. Everyone understands these are unprecedented times. That said, you know there may be better places to go. You can, for example, uh, make sure that you're getting all of those benefits that came from the CARES Act, whether it be um, making sure that if you're unemployed, you have filed for whatever you're entitled to in terms of unemployment benefits, making sure that you've exhausted other ways to access money. Because when you do take money out of your 401k, 
The good part is you're paying yourself interest, absolutely. But at the end of the day, it's often very hard to repay yourself. And if your job is vulnerable, you have to repay that money. So it gets very tricky. And I worry about people, for example, if you had taken out money when this article came out, which I believe was in the spring, you would have missed this wonderful stock run up. And think about assuming that it was invested in stocks and think what a shame that would be. So be really careful before you dip into things like retirement savings, even if it is allowed and even if those penalties are waived. That doesn't mean it's a good idea. It just means you're not going to be penalized for it by the government. And what about for 2021? What is the, you know, people love to make resolutions. What are the most common financial resolutions you see and what are the ones they usually break? Oh, gosh. Well, I don't have any specific data on the official most common, but I think that people are reprioritizing how they spend their money. We've understood that maybe we don't need to spend money on a lot of the things that we spent money on before. For example, um, and this is tough because I know a lot of businesses have been hurt by this, but a lot of people have said they're not going back to their gym and paying expensive monthly memberships for boutique um, boutique gym experiences. A lot of people have a new appreciation of spending time with friends and not necessarily spending the money um, going out all the time. They've realized it's not necessarily about going out. It's about the friendships and the relationships with your family and your friends. So I think there'll be a reprioritization of how we spend our money. All right. Well, we will keep an eye out and we hope you'll join us in 2021 to help people walk through these financial goals. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And that's Bobby Rebell. She's the host of the Money with Friends podcast and the Financial Grown Up podcast as well. We're going to be right back. And I want to see you. I want you to see this clip. It's from the president with an inspiring message about someone who won a National Medal of Honor. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss this. We are going to be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey there, welcome back to Just the News AM. We had a very interesting report from the Wall Street Journal. I want to put up the headline from the Wall Street Journal. Um, it pointed out this very interesting phenomenon that even though, well, the average credit score, it went up in July, even after millions of Americans had lost their jobs. The reporting firms say that uh, the credit scores actually went up, um, and this was in July, after millions of Americans had lost their jobs, um, scrambling the, lead, the lender's underwriting model. So everything went haywire because they weren't understanding why these credit scores actually went up. Uh, so let's find out why did credit scores go up. And we've got Veronica Dagger here to join us. She's with The Wall Street Journal, a reporter on personal finance issues. And I should add, she's also the author of The Wall Street Journal's ebook called Resilience, How 20 Ambitious Women Used Obstacles to Fuel Their Success. Good morning, Veronica. Good morning, Carrie. Thanks for having me. So what happened here with the credit scores? Because you would think that in the middle of a pandemic with people losing their jobs, with lots of people who are uh, maybe you know, facing evictions or you had the CDC saying, no, let's make sure we put a, a stop on the evictions. But just a lot of people who are having a lot of uncertainty to see credit scores go up. What, what was driving this? 
Yeah, it's really counterintuitive because you would think with people getting laid off, they would be running up their credit card bills and not being able to pay them and really damaging their credit as a result. Um, but as you know, we had this unprecedented amount of government stimulus that helped people pay their bills. Some people pay their bills. Uh, we also saw a lot of lenders being a lot more willing to work with people this time. So, for example, uh, you might have called up your credit card company and said, you know, I'm having trouble paying this month. What can you do for me? And instead of when things were flush, they would say, oh, you know, sorry, you, you, know, you might be out of luck. This time, they were being very receptive, and they still are, to people's phone calls. They're willing to work with you, be more generous with terms, maybe let you skip a month or payment, reduce those interest rates. That helps people catch up. And so as a result, we haven't seen any negative, sizable uh, negative impact on people's credit scores yet. In fact, that they're, they're going up, which who knows how long that's going to last for, but it, it is sort of, it's very interesting. Well, and if we can put the, the tweet up from the Wall Street Journal, because they note that the credit reporting firms are fearing that if Congress doesn't reach another stimulus package, that the credit scores could go back down if Congress doesn't come up with more money to support people. I guess my question on that is, is that just kicking the can down the road? Because as Margaret Thatcher would always say, at some point you run out of spending other people's money. It could be, right? You know, as we know, credit uh, scores are a lagging indicator. So there's going to be a lag here in terms of what's really happening with people's finances. But yeah, there is arguably a limit to how much money you can put into stimulus uh, as a country. Uh, you know, I think for some people who are getting the stimulus, they're being very smart with it. They're paying down debt. They're saving more. They're making better choices about what they're spending on. Um, but you know, it's one of those things that's it's not going to last forever. And so I think what the really important thing is, is to get this economy fully back on track. I mean, we saw the GDP numbers yesterday, which were a big rebound from the quarter before. That was very encouraging, very positive news, a, a great thing for this country. Um, we're still lagging be behind where we were uh, during the pandemic or before the pandemic. And so in order to get those numbers back up and to end the year strong, the key thing for investors and the key thing that the market is really watching is getting this these infections under control because, you know, there might not, you know, conceivably, if we get the infections under control, then the need for more stimulus decreases. And that's just a good thing for businesses. That's a good thing for national debt, all those sorts of things. Um, but getting these infections under control is so important to investors right now. It's really the coronavirus is really something that's still very much driving this economy. And who would have thought at this point in the year that that would be the main issue with so many other things going on in the world? So early in the program, we just had on the acting chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors at the White House, and he said he expected that the economy overall for 2020 would probably contract about 2.5 percent. Do you think that is going to be reflected in credit scores, maybe Q1 of 2021, that the, the scores will start to drop? We could see that for sure, you know, especially if layoffs continue. We're seeing more major layoffs. I think Boeing earlier this week is laying off thousands of people. We're seeing people who, you know, initially it was people who were in sort of the so-called blue-collar jobs. Now we're seeing more and more white-collar jobs. 
that's putting pressure on people's spending, putting people pressure on people's finances, and hence it's going to catch up on their credit scores as well. So I think as long as layoffs continue, we're going to potentially see that impact on the credit scores. I think it's going to be a difficult time, and it's already a difficult time for a lot of people. It's hard for CEOs right now to make projections and make decisions because of the, all this virus uncertainty. And so uh, being able to predict what's going to happen to the economy, let's hope it's not going to, let's hope it's going to be stronger than we're expecting, but it's still, there's so much uncertainty, it's difficult to know. Real quick, 30 seconds, um, you're an expert on personal finance. What advice would you give to people during this pandemic as they're managing their personal finances? I would keep up with the good habits that you maybe have started already. You know, maybe you're cooking at home five or six nights a week and you realize that's not such a bad thing. You know, it's kind of a good thing to do for your budget. I would say once this pandemic lifts, try to keep up some of those good habits. Try to keep saving the money that you would have spent going out or uh, on things that maybe you don't need as much as you thought you needed. All right, Veronica Dagger, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Carrie. That kind of reminds me of what she was saying of the song that Trump loves to play at his rallies. Uh, you can't always get what you want, but sometimes you get what you need. Uh, and what you need to do is to stick around because we've got our show wrap. Uh, it's about the Girl Scouts. The Girl Scouts, we love the cookies, but what's going on with them politically? We'll take a look. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey there, welcome back to Just the News AM. Thanks for joining us this morning. To end the show, I want to end on a positive note of unity. This is from an organization called Braver's a Braver Angels. It's a citizens organization of Red, Blue, and other Americans who say they are working for less rancor and more goodwill in our politics. And they've created what they've called the With Malice Toward None Pledge. And the pledge says, I'll read it here for you. It's regardless of how the election turns out, I will not hold hate, disdain, or ridicule for those who voted differently from me. Whether I am pleased or upset about the outcome, I will seek to understand the concerns and aspirations of those who voted differently and will look for opportunities to work with people with whom I don't agree. And that is the pledge there. The phrase with malice toward none is taken from the legendary words of Abraham Lincoln, who faced uh, unprecedented uh, just turmoil and, and separation and anger and bitterness after the Civil War, during and uh, toward the end of the Civil War. And he said this phrase, this immortal phrase of with malice toward none. And I hope you'll take a look at this pledge, maybe consider putting your name on it. Uh, it's something that no matter what your color is, red, blue, purple, um, polka dot, uh, it's something that really speaks to our universal values, our values as e pluribus Unum, out of many one, uh, we are United States. And again, go to the website. You can check it out, Braver Angels. Uh, it's the Braver Angels nonprofit. Some folks out of Los Angeles, they do wonderful work. Uh, enjoy your morning, folks. And you don't want to miss right after the show coming up next.